human beings are given such dignity. If you've read the Bible for any length of time, you find out God has created us with an inherent dignity, a type of reflective glory in ourselves. The Bible talks about how we're made just a little lower than angels in the image of God himself. Now, you, you might have heard that phrase before if you've been around the church, being made in the image of God. But when you stop to think about it, we're made in such a way that reflects who God is, like who, how we are created and crafted together from our fingers down to our toes to our hair. It somehow reflects a God who is uh, all-knowing, omnipotent, and, and who is spirit. I don't really even kind of get 1% of that, but the little part that I get kind of blows my mind a bit. It's astounding, really. In fact, Ecclesiastes, there's a verse in the Old Testament in a book called Ecclesiastes. It tells us we have eternity in our hearts. We are creatures with inherent worth and cosmic purpose. And all of us, we really feel that purpose. And, and all we do in, in our passions and what gets us excited in our careers or our families, we're all grasping a, a little bit at that weighty purpose of, of what it means to feel alive, to be who we truly are, to gain, to gain some kind of connection with God. And of course, we have like kind of outwardly good ways and outwardly bad ways to do this. Outwardly good ways is we get a job that fulfills us or we have a family or a partner. Outwardly bad ways are like drinking, drugs, and all sorts of sex all over the place. There's a famous quote by G.K. Chesterton who said, Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. We're looking for God in, in all of our life. And we know that at least some of our problem is we aren't that great in living out our purpose. Because two, two chapters away from being told that we're made in the image of God, to only two more chapters, we find a way to disfigure that image. We, try, we find how to ruin it. And that same verse that talks about having eternity set inside of our hearts says, yes, it's set inside of our hearts, but not in a way that we by ourselves can figure everything out. So we have this massive worth, but we're also really, really needy. And after a while, that neediness, there's a burden to it. There's a weight. If not brought to Jesus, that neediness, it wears on us. Instead of living into a big purpose, we settle just a little bit. And then a couple more years go by and we settle just a little bit. And a couple more years go by and we settle just a little bit. And then you add decades upon, upon themselves and we find that we've settled actually for quite a lot. That makes us uh, less for ourselves, and that, make, that makes us less for other people as well. The invitation that God offers anyone and everyone is to a life of meaning, of consequence, of something that truly matters and will have a legacy beyond our own lives. And because Jesus knows that we can't do this on our own, He knows it better than, than we do, He is the one that does the heavy lifting, and we get to follow. So, as all of us are needy, broken people, as we are all searching for the church, what we'll learn is a church is joined by Jesus, raised by Jesus, and built by Jesus. What Jesus does is he takes disparate, lowly people like us, and through his work, he builds us into what we read is a rising temple. 
Jesus takes us as lowly, needy people and through his work is now building us into a rising temple. And so we're going to be learning from verses 21 and 22. I'm just going to read those here. In him, in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So three things we're going to learn about here. One, Jesus joins us together. The second, Jesus raises us together. And the third, Jesus builds us together. So let's start with that first one. Jesus joins us together. And this is that first part of verse 21. In him, the whole building is joined together. Now we as humans, we need a deep connection with each other. Has anyone felt lonely or isolated over lockdown? Yeah, and you probably thought when you know when you're feeling isolated, there's this thing you feel like it's just you. When you're feeling lonely, you feel like it's just you. But you know what? We all experience loneliness and isolation together. That's a weird thing. The great thing, though, Jesus welcomes us as we are, as those kind of lonely, isolated people. But he doesn't leave us that way. He joins us together. First thing we should notice is that it's Jesus who's doing the joining. Now, good leadership doesn't really join us together. Good events don't really lead us together. Good relationships with each other, they don't really uh, join us together. Not at, they, they do sort of, but not in the way that our souls really long for. Now, those are all really good things, necessary things to be sure, but insufficient things in themselves, if that's all there is, it's insufficient for a church to truly be joined together. Often in churches, what does join people together are preferences. Right, this type of music, this type of preaching, these types of programs, we are such consumers. We turn the church into a product to be consumed, like it's a phone or something. Now, now you can find community when searching that way, but it's only going to be so deep. It will only get beyond a certain level. It, It will never get past your preferences if that's kind of how you're gauging community to begin with. Now, the metaphor that Paul here has is like it's like a joiner or a bricky. I don't know very much about working with wood or or building walls, but I do know that there's supposed to be at least a tight fit, right? If it's done right, it's joined together so close that there's no room for anything else to get in there. In fact, if there are cracks, that's a structural problem. Another way we could talk about it is, is say it's an integrity problem. The same thing for the church. It'll be an integrity problem if there's anything else but Jesus joining what we're doing here together. Jesus joins the church in such a way where there ought to be so much of him that there's no room for anything else. Now, we have our preferences, yes, and and that's fine to have preferences, of course. We all have them. But there's no room for preferences, preferences to be what actually connects us because there's so much of Jesus here. We have our ways of doing ministry, uh, especially here at Redeemer. We have our own ways of doing ministry. We have to choose one way to do something, right? But missional communities, they meet, they meet throughout the week. We have certain ways of how we're going to do Sunday. But those are not the things that bind us together. Good Lord, we need something more than events to bind us together, right? It's when there's not enough of Jesus that we can have these spaces begin to form. And nature abhors a vacuum, as do our desires. And so we fill those spaces with things that are much less than Christ. And give that some time, and the integrity of the church is now not on Jesus holding things together, but our plans, our preferences, and our programs. The Bible 
God himself is telling us the whole church, this is a reality, the whole church is joined together by Jesus. Now, there are subtle ways that we undermine this joint building. When we offend each other, we're called to quickly forgive. But we still will be tempted to be slightly cold, possibly, which is kind of forgiveness, but not really. Maybe if we have an opportunity to blank them, we will. If we aren't joined by Jesus, we'll find ourselves objectifying other people. They cease to be people, and then they become problems. A problem is not a person. A problem is an object to be solved or to be like get rid of. It's easy to feel better than someone when we take them down a notch, and that's what we have to do if we're not really going to live in forgiveness. Now, if Jesus is not joining us together, this church will become the religious race to be the most self-righteous. That's not a place of life. That's a place of death. This can also just simply uh, be in not saying hello to someone. You can, that, that can alter the integrity of our church or, or thinking less than someone from some other kind of background, be it their, their class, their sexuality, their gender, their ethnicity, their religious tradition, the list goes on and on and on. And this is what happens when we see others as less than a person, when we see others as uh, kind of less needy and glorious than yourself. We all have our preferences, and we've been taught since the day we were born that we should follow our preferences to our own preferences be true. This is consumerism 101. Big business wants you to follow your preferences in all of life. But preferences lead to prisons. You can create anything you want as long as you're fit to live there by yourself. Now, unlike physical bricks and mortar, this building that Jesus is joining together, it's alive. It's in an active process now. See, passivity is just another killer to deep connection. If Redeemer loses the plot, if we go out, it's probably not going to be with a bang, like a big explosion. We'll probably go out with the slow slide to niceness. Religious people are really good at being nice. Followers of Jesus are called to something more. Not something less than nice, of course, but something more. And God is teaching us here that humans need deep connection with each other, and Jesus is the one that joins us together. We also learn from God that Jesus raises us together. Ephesians 2.21, the second part of that verse, says, In him the whole building is being joined together, and here's the fo point we're uh, focus on here, and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Now, Paul could have stopped with that first metaphor of being a whole building, but then he adds a second one. Well, why is that? It's a very striking thing, a rising temple. See, humans need a deep purpose in life. Jesus raises us. At Charlton, we love Charlton, has loads of events, loads of community groups, from knitting to languages to football, all sorts. I love that about where we live. And some of these groups will be able to offer some levels of community and friendship. And I bet probably most people... We'll see the church as just one option among, among many for like a community group to join. But the church, here in this verse, is being described as something more than that. Again, it's not less than community or friendship, but something more. There are some layers of metaphor that God's using here. Jesus is the foundation of the building, which we learned about in the first week. And in him we are joined together. And in him, this whole building rises to become a holy temple. 
It rises as in like a rise to prominence, like someone's rise to power or a rise to popularity. It's something small that becomes bigger. It's something that has a potential, but now has actual, and the actual is on display. So we rise into a holy temple. Now, Paul is emphasizing something here because he could have just said a temple. Everyone would have assumed a temple to be holy, but he's kind of putting in bold this idea of holiness. And holiness is an authentic faith that goes deep. It's who we are on the outside as well as who we are on the inside, what we do when people are looking and when people aren't looking. Now, if you are not a scholar on Old Testament temples, I just have three things uh, for that I would love to, to just kind of briefly go over. If you are a scholar, you can kind of check out for the next couple minutes. But if you are not a scholar, here's three things that we should know about temples. The first thing is a temple is the symbol of God's presence. A symbol of God's presence. When the temple was first built by Solomon in Jerusalem in the Old Testament, this is way, way, way back near the first half of the Bible, the Bible says the glory of the Lord filled it. They have this week-long like worship service where the priests are sacrificing, the people are worshiping like a whole week, you know, uh, and and they're going at it. And of course, the Bible in the Bible, God is is everywhere all the time. But there was something felt, something palpable in the temple as His presence filled it as they were worshiping Him. In fact, it was so overwhelming the priests had to stop their worship service. People had to leave. They had to get out of the building because the glory of the Lord was so thick and they couldn't continue. Imagine that here right now, that God's presence would be so clear here that we just have to kind of just turn everything off and, and leave the pub. A temple is also a space of worship, because that's what a temple is made for. Now, God made it easy for people to worship Him, so He created a place to do it. But here, Paul's taking that Old Testament metaphor of a building and applying it to a people. So that means a space of worship, it's not a building anymore, it's not a geographical place, uh, it's not even an event. If it's a people, it exists in the relationships that we have with God and with each other. This is the thing that Jesus is joining together, and it's a space of worship. A temple is also where heaven and earth meet. In the Old Testament, God is often described as residing in heaven, the main exception of this being in his temple. See, the temple is where God and man meet, where heaven and earth are connected. Now, we don't have time to go through all the imagery in the Old Testament, but if you were to do this, you'd find the furniture, the dimensions of how things were created, the art, the curtains, the carvings, all sorts of things had exactly these two images going on side by side, images of heaven and earth. So if you were to walk into an Old Testament temple, you would totally get without anyone teaching you or telling you, this is where heaven and earth meet. And I can't resist a Venn diagram. And so if we had a Venn diagram here, we'd see the overlap of heaven and earth is us, is the church together. And if you look at verse 22, Paul explains a little bit more on, on what he's emphasizing here. It says, uh, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So the, the temple that Paul's describing is also a home. It's a home where God lives by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't pick up and, and leave from time to time. He, doesn't, he didn't buy this house in order to renovate it and flip it and move on. He's not renting month to month or, or week to week. It's not a visit. He dwells here. He has taken his place 
in, in your innermost being, in your heart, in who you are. He dwells in this place. Now, Paul is describing who we are, not individually. Of course, that's true. These are, these are all things that are true of us individually, but that's not what Paul is saying, actually, here. These are all plural. We, who we are. We, together, are a rising temple. And God's presence is here with us together, thick with the Holy Spirit, whether you feel it or not, thick with the Holy Spirit, with His glory. We, together, are a space of worship. And we, together, are where heaven and earth meet. We get to worship. We get to live in the seam of heaven and earth. This is a lot more than nice community, isn't it? Jesus raises us to be a, raise, a rising temple. This structure that Jesus is creating doesn't fall to the lowest common denominator. So if you feel challenged, that's probably a good thing because you're being raised up. Healthy challenge turns potential into actual. It doesn't just uh, fall to, to go in line with the majority culture. It doesn't fall to that. It doesn't fall to the level of, of self-righteousness. It doesn't fall to the level of doing what's easiest. It gives us the base that we need so we can be honest with our failures and still move on together and rise. See, a rising temple is for all people to see. It's not hidden. A subterranean temple, that'd be hidden away. A subterranean temple would be this idea that faith is so private, I never share with anyone, I just keep it to myself. I never live out my faith because it's just too personal. Well, if it truly is personal, this is what your faith looks like. It looks like a rising temple. In the Old Testament, there is a symbol for this kind of temple that we're learning about today. The prophets talked about it often. Lots of different kinds of prophets talked about this symbol. This symbol of a temple, it's set high on the hill of, of, of God's city of Jerusalem. The roof of the temple is gold, and it glints in the sun from far away. It has what looks like rivers flowing when, you, when, you, when you're far back. But the closer you get, you see these rivers, they're not flowing down. Like they're flowing up. They're flowing an upward flowing river up to the top of a mountain, and then you get closer still, and you realize they aren't rivers at all. They are people. There are multiple rivers of people flowing up to, to, to this temple, people from different ethnicities, people who speak different languages, people from different kinds of backgrounds, all together streaming into this rising temple. Now, what could this look like for our church to be more like who we are? to be more like a rising temple. Doesn't that sound exciting? We live in that seam between heaven and earth. Let's not focus on lowest common denominator stuff that churches can get stuck on. What big things are we going to do? What do you want to be known for? What are some potentials within you that you're excited about and want to turn into actuals? Like working for justice, or other people hearing about how God loves them, other baptisms, loving and caring for kids and youth, the world of the arts, of family life, the business world. What could a rising temple in South Manchester, in Charlton, in this city of Charlton, in the city of Manchester, what could that look like? Now, humans need a deep purpose in life. Jesus raises us. So he joins us together 
He raises us together. And the last thing we're going to look at is Jesus builds us together. And in verse 22, it says, In him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Being built together. I want to focus on the tense of that verb, being built together. The previous point is one more of like a a future orientation, like a vision and a a hope, a a vision of what we could be. But here now we get down to the nitty-gritty. We get down to the present. What's going on now? And we are being built together by Jesus. We have not already been built. We aren't doing the building. Humans do not have it all together. All of us need help. Jesus builds us together. And this is something anyone can get in on. Anyone can be a part of this rising temple. Anyone get on this. You know, whether you've been a Christian since forever or you just became one right now, in these nine ver- words, we learn that we're passive in this, that we're, we are in progress in this building, and also that we are plural. We are passive in that we aren't doing the building on ourselves. The best way for us to work on ourselves is for Jesus to do his work on us. To, to relent to that, to surrender to that. We aren't building, Jesus is. We aren't joining, Jesus is. We don't rise up, we aren't the hero. Jesus raises, he's, he's the hero. To be passive in his work requires surrendering to him, to the words he has for us. And when we are passive to his work in our lives, that's when we can truly become active in our own. In order to be active in our own lives, we must be passive to His work in us. This is very different from a life of passivity, where we just kind of give up, because it's not, it, it's just an active thing, because it's not easy to surrender to Jesus. There's a lot of a struggle, there's a lot of, of parts of us, many parts of us that struggle there. And when we do surrender to Jesus, we find what He does is He actually calls us to an active life, but a certain kind of active life, one that relies on His Spirit to work through us, and also one where we can put our full weight on Him. So ultimately, fundamentally, we are passive in this work. We are also in progress. We don't have it all together. Nor should we expect to. Who gave you that burden to have it all together? It didn't come from Jesus, I know that. That burden you feel of not having it all together, that burden, that's from hell. Just throw it back where it belongs. It belongs in hell. And this is also what a humble life is like. Not being the know-it-all. Being okay when someone corrects us. Because why in the world would we want to continue going the wrong way? We should invite correction. It means the shame we might feel when we don't measure up to whatever religious standards we have on ourselves. That shame itself, that goes, gets to go to hell too. Jesus welcomes us as his renovation project. And those burdens, that shame, Jesus killed them. They're under the ground. They're dead. Please do not try and dig them up and try and resurrect them. Jesus is the one who resurrected. And Jesus welcomes us as his renovation project. Redeemer is a renovation project full of people in the middle of demolition. So we're in progress. We are also plural. All that we talked about, again, is true on the individual level, but really that those just literally are not the words that Paul's using here. He's, he's using all you plurals, you all. Saying we are plural sounds like, well, well, of course, it's in the word we. But community, like true biblical community, I think is probably the biggest boundary to following Jesus in our culture, in ourselves. It's a, to, to have like a, 
an identity that, ha- that relies in some way on our community is not something that we get right away. But the Bible tells us we get our identity not just from ourselves, but also from being part of the church. You can't join together something that's individual. You have to have other things to join together. You have to have many bricks to make a wall. That's the issue with, with joining church on a screen. It has its limits. At best, joining church on a screen, jo- watching worship service on a screen, at the best means you get to view one aspect of what a rising temple looks like. You're not really participating in it yet, but you get to view to see what it could look like. And being built together means being built together with each other. The only way a temple will rise is if the bricks are joined well together. The only hope we can have to live into that big purpose that God has for us is to now surrender to his work in building us together. Now the church, which is us, the people, is where God lives. This is his home. So if we previously looked at what a rising temple could look like, what does this building up together process actually look like right now? Well, in order to be passive to Jesus' work, we have to hear his words. His words are living and active. They do things. The whole world was created by his word, after all. And when we hear his words, we don't just let them pass through our brains and just move on. We struggle with them. We try and have them be part of become a part of who we are in some way. It might require you to reread the passage from the sermon or whatever you're studying in your missional community at a different point other than the event of your missional community meeting up. I mean, if his words are life, imagine getting to receive words of life every day. You could, if you wanted, you could receive words of life every day, or you could choose to not. And if we can't just recognize that we are works in progress, what we're going to have is religious faces, not real faces. We'll say, I don't know if I, uh, I, I don't know if I believe this, you know, if we're honest with ourselves. Or we might say, I find this really difficult to believe. Or we can say, I need help with this. Will you help me? We'd probably be more desperate for prayer in our own lives and asking others to pray for us if we had like our real faces on. You might, you would be completely free to say, my soul is a wreck. I just, can you just pray for me for a second? And if we are plural, that means we need to be in each other's lives. You know, I think I can promise something here. I think if you are present consistently on Sundays, and if you're present in your, in the relationships in your missional community, and by present, I mean like fully bringing yourself at work, active, not just sitting back and consuming, but involved. I think I can promise that you will get everything you want out of church. We all have different kind of things that we want out of the church. But if you're present in just those two areas, I think you'll probably get whatever you want out of it. And one thing I know I can promise is you won't get what you want out of church if you're not present in those places. Whatever it might be, the only way to get what we want is to live into that plural identity given by God. Now, all of this requires work, but not the kind of typical work that we're used to, because our work doesn't come first. His work does. Our lives are a response to His work. But we don't do those things in order to be joined, to rise, to build, because it's all about Jesus. We are joined together 
in him. We're connected to each other and to him. We rise together in him. He has given us a purpose that we live out towards each other and for him. We are being built together in him. Works of progress that Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, allows us to work out together and in him. And this temple rises because he has risen. This is one of the many reasons that the resurrection matters in our life. This is the resurrection power at work. Without the risen Christ behind it all, this temple would not rise. Without Christ's resurrection, we can never become members of the Father's family. Without Christ's resurrection, we can never become a home for the Holy Spirit. It's all of it through His power and in Him.